Uh, in our Bibles, it's page 701. If you don't have one of our Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. And we'll get there in just a minute. Um, this year, my wife, Amy, and I, in July, will celebrate 10 years of being married, which is pretty exciting. And um, in 10 years, almost, in almost 10 years of marriage, uh, we have not owned a TV. And I know that's kind of weird culturally. People are like, you don't own a TV. But early on in our marriage, we just decided we're not sure that we want a TV. Like, we, we can get by without one. So we did it. At first, it was kind of hard. We'd both had TVs most of our lives. And... Um, but we eventually got used to it. We found other things to do with our time. I'd, I'd like to make it sound like we're really good, like we never watch anything, but today we all know you can watch anything you want online. So we do watch television shows, but what we don't see are commercials, or a lot of them anyways. And one of the unexpected side effects of not having a TV that I did not expect at all was that I began to like really love commercials. And so I'd go to like my parents' house and my brother's family's house and we'd be watching TV and the commercials would come on and they would scatter. You know, they'd like go to the kitchen to get something to drink or whatever. And I'm like glued to the screen, like this is, these are hilarious. Like I'm laughing out loud. And my brother's like, you've never seen that before? I'm like, I don't have a TV. This is like, it's like a, the best stand-up routine you've ever seen in between every like episode, you know? And so I loved it, I loved commercials. And commercials really do have a way of sucking us in, right? I mean, we all watched the Super Bowl a month ago or so, and we're all excited about seeing the commercials. There's something about a good commercial that pulls us in. And we know what makes a good commercial. It's not necessarily the product, right? I mean, we could care less about the product, but what, what happens with a commercial is that they sell us the promise. There's some kind of promise connected to that product, right? And it's usually the promise of, of a better story, the promise of a better existence, the promise of a better life somehow, right? And we've all seen this. I think beer commercials do it the best, right? I mean, you notice what they don't show in a beer commercial is like a dude and a wife beater and his boxers on, his, on a couch in his mom's basement watching TV, you know? They don't show that. What they show is like, if you drink Corona, where are you? Where are you? Yeah, you're on the beach, man. You got your toes dipped in the sand. The sun is shining. It's nice. If you drink Michelob Ultra... You're going to be a super athlete, you know, and you're going to be surrounded by other beautiful super athletes. If you drink Coors Light, you're going to like live on a glacier in the Rocky Mountains, you know, it's going to be epic. I mean, this is what they promise you. Same thing with like Jeep. I mean, you look at Jeep. If you, if you drive a Jeep, where are you going to live? You're going to live on top of a mountain. Yeah, you're going to be a mountain man. You drive this Jeep, you're going to summit mountains, you're going to surf all the time and ski back country. It's going to be epic. Just buy a Jeep. See, marketing strategists have kind of tapped into something that is deeply true about human beings, right? There's something about us that longs for something more. We have this insatiable desire for more. And in the Old Testament, the writer of Ecclesiastes says it this way. He says, human beings have eternity in their hearts. God has placed eternity in the heart of the human soul. We crave for something more beyond our own existence. The problem with the commercials and the marketing strategies is that it never works out the way they say it will, does it? How many of us have bought something, bought into something in hopes of an outcome that never came to be? So you, you buy the beer, but you're still the dude in your wife beater and boxers watching TV in your mom's basement. You buy the Jeep and you never get to go to the mountains because you're paying off the Jeep and having to pay to put gas in your gas guzzling Jeep. It's just kind of the way that it plays out, right? Well, this is not a, a new situation for humanity. It's not with the advent of commercials. This is the way it's always been. We've always craved for something more, and we even start to sell ourselves stories. We start to say, hey, man, if I, if I, just, if I just could get married, then things would be better. If I just had this person for my spouse, 
if I just had this job, I didn't have the job I have anymore. You know, if I just had this many kids, or if I, if I could get this degree and graduate and move on to this job, then everything would be better. And our life becomes like a string of chasing promise after promise that never follows through with the thing that we hoped it would follow through with. The story that we're chasing always seems to elude us. This morning when we come into Mark, uh, we're going to see kind of a different story than what we've been seeing in Mark. We've been in Mark for several weeks now. And, and in Mark, Mark is an action-packed gospel. You see, he goes, I mean, just read through it. It doesn't read to it because we're used to fast-paced TV. But if you read through Mark, Mark is always uh, describing the activity of Jesus. So he's like, and then Jesus went here. Immediately, Jesus got up and went here. And then Jesus went here. It's like one thing after another. Well, today, it's the first time where Mark pauses and begins to focus on just the teaching narrative of Jesus. And in Mark chapter 4, Mark uh, describes some of the parables that Jesus used to teach. And Jesus is going to be surrounded by people that are chasing stories. They're chasing after stories to give them meaning. And that's why they've come to him when we get into the text today. And it's much like us here this morning, right? I mean, we come here because we're eager for something more, something beyond the existence that we experience in everyday life. So let's look in Mark chapter 4. Verses 1 through 20, just kind of a, a heads up, there's actually two teachings in this passage, in these 20 verses. Uh, Jesus is going to teach on a parable, he's going to talk about a parable, but then he is also going to teach about why he teaches in parables. We're not going to cover both of those today. The middle section of what we read is where Jesus is going to talk about why he teaches in parables, and it may be kind of confusing when we read it, okay? But know that we're going to come back to that in a couple weeks after Easter and all of our Easter celebration stuff, and we're going to come back to talking about that passage. So don't let it sidetrack you as we read it. Let's start in verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen, listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. And still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, it grew, it produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth 
and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. And this is the word of the Lord out of Mark chapter 4. So to set the stage a little bit and talk about the context of what's going on, Jesus has been teaching. We know he's been going from village to village, synagogue to synagogue, context to context, teaching what he called the good news of the kingdom. And crowds keep gathering around him, and it's no different in this story. Um, It's crowds pressing in so tightly around him. As I was reading about it, I was thinking about an experience Amy and I had. Um, It was several years ago. We were living in Eugene, Oregon. It was about 2008, and Barack Obama was running for his first presidential election. And he came to speak in Eugene, and at this point, he wasn't even officially a presidential nominee, but people were crazy about Barack Obama in Eugene, Oregon, and they were lined up literally three blocks to get into the building where he was going to be teaching. And before we even could see the door to the building, they closed the doors because the building was full. And so Barack came out behind to the back of the building where the line was kind of forming, and he stood just to kind of give a very brief address to all these other people that had crowded around to see him. And Amy and I were kind of right there where he came out, so we stepped up, and there was a rope, and we stood at the rope, and another man wedged his way in the front of me, and I'm kind of pushed back, and then a woman got behind me and literally was pushing. My face was like pressing into the back of this large man in front of me, and she's reaching out as Mr. Obama makes the round shaking hands, and she's screaming, Barack, Barack, like she was so desperate just to see him and touch him, and I'm sandwiched in between her and this very large man uh, in between her and her dream. And this is very much what was happening right here with Jesus. People are, are crowding around him. Only he doesn't have the secret service and he doesn't have ropes around to keep people back. And so Jesus is being pressed upon. People just want to get close to him and touch him. It's like a mob. And so he gets in this boat and he presses out a little way into sea. And now he has the freedom to teach. And he has a very natural amphitheater where his voice can bounce off the water and thousands can hear him without amplification. And so he jumps into teaching. And again, he's surrounded by people that are desperate for a new story. Now, the most remarkable thing about this story that Jesus tells comes at the very end. The hook is at the end. It's the result of this seed, this miraculous harvest. Now, we may read that. If you look in in, uh, in verse 8, he says, Other seed came on good soil. It grew up producing a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Probably most of us are not farmers, And so we don't really necessarily grasp what the significance of this is. The average crop, a good return on a crop in in Jesus' time was three and a half to seven times. Three and a half to seven times. And Jesus is describing this seed that when it hits good soil, 30 to 60 to 100 times in a harvest. I mean, can you imagine that? So I have a part-time job. I make 10 bucks an hour at a part-time job. So in an eight-hour shift, I make $80. What if somebody came and tells me this story about another job that's just like mine, where I could be doing the same sort of things, but I'd be making $8,000 a day instead of $80 a day? Man, I'm in. Count me in. Like, I'm sold on that story. That's the story I want to be a part of. And so these farmers and and these people that are familiar with farming lingo and and what farming looks like, they're hearing this story and they're like, what is this seed? What is this crop? What is this story that you're telling us about? And they're totally sucked in. And what he's saying at the very end, if you look in verse 20, he says, look, the seed that is sown in good soil in verse 20 of chapter 4, they hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop. And so he's telling them, like, look, this harvest is available to you. 
It's not monetary. It's not about grain. It's something different. This harvest is about the very character and nature of God just bearing up from within you to where you begin to look a lot like God looks in character and begin to look a lot like God looks in his nature and the way that he treats other people and the way that he approaches life. It's the very harvest of God himself from within your heart. And Jesus is saying, this is available to you. This is available to you. I mean, that is a promise that if it follows through, what a story worth living, right? How in the world is this possible? Well, Jesus goes on and he explains it to his disciples how it's possible. And there's three main players in the story, right? Three main players. There's the sower, there's the seed, and there's the soil. There's the sower, the seed, and the soil. And we're going to look at each one a little bit closer. Let's look first at the sower. Look in verse, in verse 3. Jesus says, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed. Very brief description of the sower. But what's interesting here is the verb that Jesus has used to talk about this farmer going out is the same verb that Mark uses in chapter 1 when he talks about Jesus. He says in chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus went out into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And so the farmer's being paralleled with the activity that Jesus has been up to. So we see very early on, right away, that this farmer is being paralleled with Jesus. Jesus is paralleling himself with this farmer. And the interesting picture about this farmer, though, is that he is scattering his seed like everywhere. And I never really caught the significance of this until a few months ago when Brandon taught on this passage. I don't know if you remember that. But he talked about watching his grandfather as a farmer and how intentional he was with where he put seed. His grandfather knew where he had plowed. He knew where seed needed to go, and he would plant the seed right where it needed to go in order to yield the best crop. Well, the picture of this farmer, it's like he's got a bag of seeds on his shoulder, and he's literally just chucking seeds everywhere. I mean, he's walking through the fields. It almost looks careless. It almost looks reckless. It almost looks like wasteful. And you can see the farmers in the crowd who are hearing like this, and they're thinking about this farmer like, what an idiot. Like, why is this guy sowing everywhere? He's sowing seed on the sidewalk? Like, what a moron. What kind of farmer does that? But it's really as if this farmer is so desperate to find good soil that he's sowing seed everywhere in hopes that some good soil might be found. And if we look at the story of Jesus up to this point, isn't that exactly what he's been doing? I mean, Jesus has been proclaiming the word. He's been sowing this seed everywhere. I mean, everywhere. He's been going to synagogues. He's been going to fishing piers. He's been going to houses. He's been going to farms. He's been teaching to men. He's been teaching to women. He's been teaching to lepers. He's been teaching to religious leaders. He's been teaching to the outcast. Everywhere Jesus is going, he's just throwing this seed, recklessly almost, and hope that somewhere he might find some good soil. And the religious leaders look at him just like those farmers looked at the farmer in the story, and they think he's reckless. They think he's careless. But Jesus is just sowing seed, knowing that some will land on good soil, hoping to find some good soil. So the second thing we have, that's the sower. We see that the sower is diligent and that the sower is not wasteful. He is generous. He's abundantly generous. And he wants everyone to have access to this good seed. So the seed, what is this seed? This week I was, I was reflecting on this. Uh, Amy and I are getting ready to plant our garden this year. And Amy's a great gardener. I'm the dumb laborer. Like I just dig what she tells me to dig and do what she tells me to do. And we are going to have the biggest garden we've ever had this year. We've got like a 20 by 25 foot plot. And the other day, Amy had this whiteboard and she had drawn out 
this garden and labeled where everything was going to go. And she's showing it to me. And I'm looking at this garden. And there's cucumbers and there's green beans and there's zucchini and there's tomatoes and there's potatoes and sweet potatoes and okra and peas and herbs and corn. I mean, it's just all this stuff. And I looked at Amy, I'm like, do we have all that stuff? And she says, well, we have the seeds. And it kind of just hit me like that whole garden, 400, over 400 square feet of garden, all of it right now fits in the palm of my hand. It all fits in this baggie in the palm of my hand and a seed. I mean, how much potential is in each one of those little seeds? I mean, is not the seed one of the most amazing and mysterious things that God created? You take this tiny little thing and plop it in the ground and look at what it produces. And the reality is it's not just this year's garden that's in the palm of my hand. It's this year's garden. And then from the fruit that it produces, it will be seeds for next year's garden. I mean, we've got enough in the palm of my hand to feed my family for years. The potential and the power in a little seed. And this is the metaphor that Jesus chooses to describe the good news of his kingdom. And so that's what the seed is, right? The seed is the gospel of the kingdom. If you look um, in, in verse 14, he says, The farmer sows the word. When Matthew tells this story, he says, The, the seed is the message of the kingdom. And we know what Jesus has been teaching is the message of the kingdom, the good news, the gospel. And this is what we're all here for. We all come here looking for some good news because we've been buying into stories that don't pay off, buying into promises that don't fulfill. And Jesus says, I have good news for you. I have great news for you. And the gospel, the gospel is not advice, okay? The good news about the kingdom, it's not advice, it's the good news that you and I, we don't have to earn our way to God anymore. It's a new story to start living in. It's not advice. I mean, if we want advice and we want instructions or how-to of how we could be more fulfilled, there's plenty of that out there. We are drowned with good advice, right? Everyone wants to offer you good advice. But Jesus says, look, I, I didn't come to give you good advice. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to do what you can't. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to do what you can't. And this is evidenced by Jesus' only instruction through this whole teaching. His only instruction, the only thing he says to do is hear. Ten times. He says, listen. Just, just listen. Just, just hear. 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 Hear this good news. Just listen to it and accept it. That's all you have to do. That's it. Your only responsibility is to hear. It's as if he's saying, listen, Jesus has lived the life that you can't live. And Jesus has died the death that you deserve to die. He has thrown open the door into God's presence. And we're going to look next week, we're going to see, look, Jesus did not stay in the grave, but Jesus rose from the dead. And he opened the door for all of us on the other side of death so that death is not our final destination anymore. And then he makes these, all these promises saying, look, I will come and make my home in you. I will come and live in you. I will begin to produce in your heart the very things you see in my life. If you'll just hear it and believe it. This is the good news of Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. Something miraculous happens. Mysterious, yes. Miraculous, yes. 
when the good news, the seed of the good news finds its way into good soil, it produces a crop that, like you've never seen before. It produces a harvest like we've never seen before. And this kind of brings us to the soil, right? The seed has unlimited potential. The sower is good and generous. And the third element needed for an abundant harvest is the soil. When this seed finds its way into the deepest parts of our hearts, it begins to change us in some way. It produces a new way of living, a new way of interacting with the world, and it starts in you. It starts in you. The seed comes in, begins to break up the ground of our heart, and begins to produce new ways of thinking and being and living. And regardless of your past sin, regardless of your own personal limitations, you begin to view the world differently. And we've seen this over and over again. When the seed of the gospel comes into good soil, the cynical and the bitter and the resentful become loving and kind and merciful. The worrisome and the anxiety-ridden person becomes content and at peace. The self-centered and the mean somehow miraculously become compassionate and generous. And the fearful coward, the seed comes into his heart and somehow he becomes a courageous leader. This is the miracle of God's kingdom in our life when it finds good soil. And it starts in us. It starts in you as a person. But then it begins to change those around us. Uh, I spent the like, second grade to eighth grade of my life. I lived in Florida, in North Florida. And we had these live oak trees all over the place. And in my yard, we had two big live oak trees. And live oak trees will drop these tiny little acorns. And I can remember going out when this time of year would get here, when spring was here, and these little baby oak trees are popping up like in a, in a radius around this, uh, these live oak trees. And it's the same way with us. When the seed finds its way into our heart, it doesn't stop with us. God begins to produce his character, his nature within you. And then suddenly you start to see it springing up in the lives of the people around you. Like God uses you. He uses his goodness in you to bring the good news of this gospel to other people around you. And then they begin to experience the good news and the change that comes with the gospel being sown into your heart. It's miraculous. It is the production of the character of God in the heart and life of a human being. And the mystery of it all is part of the good news as well. Because we don't understand it. We don't understand how it works. Jesus is saying, you can't make it work. And so if the soil isn't right, who works the soil? Who works the soil to make it right? The farmer, right? We haven't tilled up our garden yet. We've got a 20 by 25 plot of land in our backyard, and I've got to go rent a tiller and get out there and till up that land so that the seed can produce some fruit. It is the farmer that makes the soil ready for the good seed. And so Jesus is saying, look at the soil of your heart. And he's like, and come to the farmer. Just come to the farmer. That's part of the miracle, part of the mystery, part of the beauty. We don't get to make ourselves ready. He does it in us. It's a beautiful picture of the love and the grace of God. And so you've got this sower who is abundantly generous and good and diligent. You've got this seed that is perfect. It's got unlimited power, unlimited potential. And then you've got the soil that when it's good, it produces this crop. Now, all of this is really encouraging, I hope. This is the good news of Jesus, but there's this other part of this parable, right? And this is where it gets kind of challenging. It's like Jesus is saying to the disciples, he's like, look, guys, not all of you are going to bear fruit. 
And not everybody that, that you tell about this good news is going to bear fruit. How can that be? If we know that the sower is good and we know that the seed is always good, then it always depends upon the soil. And so he looks at three different types of soil that don't bear fruit. And this is going to feel kind of challenging and kind of weighty. But let's go with Jesus into all of this. Okay, he looks at three different types. He starts with this hardened soil. Look in verse 15 of chapter 4. He says, Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. I had a, Amy and I had a dog the first like two years of our marriage. She was a beautiful black lab. And when we would let her out in our backyard, she had this one path that she always liked to run. And she would run along the perimeter of the fence in our backyard. That's like where she ran back and forth all the time. And by the time we moved out of that house, we were renting. Our landlords hated us. There was this path. There was no grass. It was just this hard packed dirt from our dog, the same path that she would always run. And no matter how hard we tried, if we threw seed out there to try to, grow seed, to try to grow grass, it's like our dog would just run over it, kick it off, or birds would come down and eat the seed. This soil would not receive the seed we were trying to give it. And that's the picture Jesus is given here. There were paths in between all of the wheat fields and stuff in Jesus' time. And there were paths between towns that people would walk on. And they would literally walk between grain fields. And it was just this hardened path that would not receive seed. And he's saying, look, some of you, some of you, you have a heart that is just hardened to this good news of the gospel. And usually that comes from some sort of arrogance or pride or self-righteousness. Some of us, we hear the gospel and we think, I don't need a savior. I don't need that good news. Give me the advice, I can follow it. I'm good enough. Give me the advice, I can follow it, I can do it. I don't need somebody to do it for me. I don't need a savior, I don't need a rescuer. And I'm not speaking as one who's looking down, like this is my story. I grew up in the church, but I grew up thinking that I could do it on my own. I grew up thinking that it was because I was such a good kid, because I knew how to follow all the rules. And it took somebody when I was a senior in high school looking at me and calling me a self-righteous a-hole before I understood what was going on in my heart. I wasn't producing a lot of crop. I wasn't producing generosity and kindness and compassion. I was producing a lot of self-centered self-righteousness because I thought I was good enough to earn the harvest on my own. And Jesus is saying, look, your self-righteousness, your arrogance, it just opens you up to spiritual warfare. It opens you up for Satan to easily come in and take the best news the world has ever heard and just take it right out of your heart because you don't want anything to do with it. Hardness of heart, an arrogance, a self-righteousness, and a pride that I don't need a Savior. And he goes on to this next soil, and he sees rocky soil. Like in verse 17, he says, or in verse 16, he said, other seeds... Other are like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word, and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now this rocky soil, I've always imagined this when I've read this story. I've thought about um, like a bunch of little rocks kind of strewn throughout the soil, and that's not really what's happening here. Um, Galilee, where Jesus was teaching, was not too unlike Middle Tennessee in its geography, and that there was this limestone uh, shelf almost underneath the ground. And I don't know if you've ever tried to plant anything around here. I tried to plant a tree like a few couple months ago in my backyard. And I got down about a foot and it was easy digging with a shovel. And then all of a sudden it was like clank, clank. My, it's like I found a treasure box or something. But it was just a gigantic sheet of limestone. 
And I had to go get a pickaxe and like go at it with this pickaxe to break the rock apart to be able to put this tree in the ground. Farmers would have the same experience in Galilee. Underneath the surface of the soil was a layer of limestone and sometimes it was too deep for the plow to get to it. And so they would plow their whole field, they would sow the seed and then they'd look out at their crop and there'd be certain sections of the field that were just withering under the heat of the sun. And they did not have deep enough roots because it didn't go down deep enough below that rock. And so, so this soil, he's saying, Jesus is saying, look, some of you receive the good news very readily, but you like only parts of it. We only like parts of the good news. And we lack a certain depth in the soil of our heart. We're not going deep enough with the gospel. And what this looks like sometimes is it's like someone who hears the gospel like, look, I, I like, I really like this, the forgiveness of God. I love, man, I love that. He's forgiven me. That's great. I love the mercy of God. I love the fact that God loves me. This is so good. But man, don't, don't ask me to forgive the people who've wronged me. Don't ask me to have mercy on the people that need mercy. Don't ask me to love the people that are difficult to love. I'm, I'm not ready for that. And look, I, I know many of us come to Christ, and we have deep, deep wounds. Many of you in this room, I know, have been wounded deeply by family members. You've been wounded by the church. Many of you have suffered, suffered horrendous um, betrayal and rejection. Many of you have suffered at the hands of abuse of somebody that you loved. And when you come to Jesus, the temptation is to hold on to those things, hold on to those wounds, because the alternative is to forgive. Many of you come to Christ with hatred for people who do the abusing because you've seen the damage that it causes. And you come to Christ and you hold on to that anger because it's what fuels you. And Jesus says, I want to take you deeper than that. I want to show how you, how you can have the same level of forgiveness and mercy and love and grace in your heart as I have in mine. And he wants to plow up that rock. And just like me going at that rock with a pickaxe, it's, it can be hard work. It can be unpleasant. But remember the sower. Remember the farmer. Man, he's good. Man, he's, he's generous. Man, he loves you deeply. And he will take you to deeper places than you've ever been. But we have to let him. And then we come to this third soil, the thorny soil. Think in verse 18, he says, Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. People of thorny soil, what we do is we, we let the gospel in. It's not a matter of what we're not willing to let go of. I mean, it's not a matter of what we're willing to accept. It's a matter of what we're not willing to let go of. We're like, yeah, we like the gospel. We like all of it. We'll accept all of it. But we're, we're not ready to let go of a few things. And so some of us, this is very prevalent in the American dream world, right? I mean, the world of the American dream. Chase your comforts. Chase your security. Chase the things of this life that give you pleasure. And what Jesus is saying is like, look, I, I, my gospel sometimes is going to tell you to die to yourself to make sacrifice. And the people in the thorny soil were like, yeah, I hear that, Jesus. I know I'm, I need to die to myself, but I'm not quite done making a name for myself yet. So once I make a name for myself, then I'll die to myself. And so we keep chasing after these things that we think are going to give us a name. And what Jesus said, I want you to chase after my name. I want you to chase after things that are going to make much of my name, not much of your name, because I'm the one doing the hard work. And so we chase this American dream. Sometimes it's not a name for ourselves. Sometimes it's just comfort. Sometimes it's pleasure. 
Sometimes it's the job, security, right? And we think we want to make room in our heart for both of those things, but what happens when the two start to conflict, when the American dream begins to conflict with the call of Jesus on our lives, well, guess which one usually wins? The American dream, and that's the thorny soil. Jesus is saying, look, if you've got, you're trying to make room in your heart for both of these things, one of them is not going to make it. One of them is not going to work. And as long as we cling to the things that this world tells us, tell us give us meaning, then the good news of Jesus will not bear much fruit in our life. We're going to be wrestling between the two forever. And then we come to the good soil. The soil gets, it, it get, the seed gets deeper into this soil. And we've already talked about the harvest and the abundance of the harvest that comes when the seed finds its way into good soil. But look at what he says about the good soil. In verse 20, he says, Others like seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. This word here, 10 times, Mark is going to use the word here as he talks about Jesus' teachings. 10 times, Jesus talks about hearing, listen, hear. But there's something different in verse 20. When he describes the, the word here in, in the other verses about the soils, it is a one-time thing. It's a past tense verb in Greek. It's like heard. Others, when they heard the word, when they hear the word, when they heard the word, it's a one-time thing. In verse 20, it is, it is the present active tense. He's saying, look, this good soil doesn't just hear it and let it go. It's not in one ear, out the other. He's saying the good soil, when they hear the word, they keep on hearing the word. They keep on hearing the word. They keep on hearing the good news. They accept the good news. And the good news begins to produce a harvest that is abundantly more than anything you've ever seen. Continue to hear the good news. Some of us have heard the good news a million times and Jesus says, hey, just keep listening. I'm not done with you. Keep hearing the good news. Keep hearing the gospel. Keep hearing what I want to do in your life. I love you. I have so much for you. Keep listening. Keep listening. Keep listening. He just wants us to hear it. He wants us to hear it. And watch it produce the harvest that you never could have expected in your life. It's a miracle. It's a mystery and it's a miracle. So why, why in the world does Jesus give us this teaching? <clears throat> I think there's a couple things. And this is what we're going to wrap up with. We're going to go to communion with this thought. Um, one, one real simple thing is that he's talking to his disciples when he's explaining the parable. And he is preparing them for what they're going to encounter. Two chapters later in Mark, he's going to send out his disciples. And he's going to tell them to go do the very thing that he's been doing. He's going to say, look, I want you to go and tell everybody the good news of this kingdom the good news of God's kingdom coming into your heart and making a difference. Go tell them. Go sow the seed. But he also tells them, look, I want you to have realistic expectations. Not everybody is ready to receive the seed that you are sowing. And he tells them in the instructions in Mark chapter 6, he's like, look, when you come to a town and they don't want to hear what you have to say, that's okay. Like, just go on to the next town. Just sow, sow generously and liberally. And he's saying the same thing to us. There's many of you, many of us in this room that have good soil in our hearts. And you want to see this harvest in the lives of those around you, and you're not seeing it. And it can be very tempting to give up. It can be very tempting to question the sower or the seed. And those two things are not the issue. What Jesus is saying is keep going. Keep going. Keep sowing. You'll find good soil, and when you do, the harvest is going to be amazing. He's giving realistic expectations of what you can expect when you're sowing the seed of the good news of Jesus. But he also does it for another reason. I, I think he, he gives these examples of soil to help us assess. I know many of us are going to sit here and go, I don't know that I see that harvest in my life. 
I don't know that I see that fruit in my life. What do I do with that? And I think what Jesus is saying is, hey, assess the soil. Assess the soil of your heart. What kind of soil am I? Am I producing fruit? Am I not? And if I'm not, then what are the things that are in the soil that are preventing that fruit from growing? And this is kind of a challenging thing. It's a very challenging message. I know that. It comes straight from the mouth of Jesus. And what he's inviting you to do is to assess your heart. Come to him and ask him, Jesus, where's the soil in my heart? Which one am I? And if it's the rocky soil, if it's the shallow soil, if it's the hard soil... Don't go to your garage and get out the pickaxe and start trying to do the work yourself. Come to the farmer. Come to Jesus. Just come ask him, Jesus, I've realized my heart is thorny. Like, I care more about my material wealth than I care about the advancement of your kingdom. Will you come and weed that out of me? I realize my heart is getting hard. Would you till it up, Jesus? I encourage you to go to your friends, and this is really challenging. I said this on Thursday at our teaching meeting, and somebody responded like, ooh, man, that's scary, but... Go to your friends. Go to your spouse. Say, hey, what fruit do you see in my life? Where am I not bearing fruit? What are the things that you see in me that are preventing the fruit of God's kingdom in my life? And do the same for them. This is what it looks like for us to walk hand in hand together with Christ and with one another. So as we go to communion, uh, what I want to encourage you to do is take a moment and just reflect. Just assess the soil of your heart. Look at the places of fruitfulness in your life and look at the places where you're not seeing fruit and just ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that you're wanting to do in that soil? What are you wanting to do to prepare me to be more like you? So I'm going to pray for us. There's communion set up all around the room. Uh, Get with somebody else. Get with a friend, somebody that you came with today or with your family. And just pray and talk and ask Jesus to do the things in your heart that only he can do. Let's pray.